Arthur, Star Wars, DC, Marvel, Star Trek, James Bond, Blade, Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, Sherlock, Terminator, Blade Runner, Inception, X-Files, and on and on and on and on and on. All of it fiction, all of it true. In light of the death of the director Richard Donner, who was behind 1978 Superman the movie, which gave us a tangible, groundbreaking comic book world, I have to ask you, why is it so important to make the unreal real? This is Mad Unreal, episode 41. Let's go. You know, Isaac, I was looking at a list of Richard Donner uh, films, Mm. uh, particularly the films that he directed, and I... I was really taken aback at how many Richard Donner films I've actually seen <laughs> and didn't know it mm-hmm. and just didn't. Yeah. Didn't, didn't, didn't know it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen quite, quite a few. You know, which one I didn't see. <laughs> I'm going to give you one guess which one I didn't see and will never see. Oh, that would be the omen. <laughs> that would be the omen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see snobs on the film. Why Isaac av- uh, doesn't watch horror movies. <laughs> I, Isaac versus Isaac versus the horror film. Right, right. That's a new series. <laughs> that's another. That's a whole other podcast. But yeah, so yeah, you took in his whole. You you just kind of like reviewed the whole catalog real quick. Some of the more obvious ones, but you know, Lethal Weapon, Superman, of course. You know, The Goonies, mm-hmm. um, definitely. But I knew that that you know, I, Richard Donner, like uh, yeah. But like The Omen, Scrooge, mm-hmm. um, Sixteen Blocks. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, he's got a lot of range as far as the types of stories that that he was able to bring to the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, all right, uh, let's answer the question. Uh, you tell me why? Because just very quickly, I watched Superman um, yeah. last night. I watched Superman oh, the wow. movie last okay. night. I hadn't seen it in a while. Nineteen seventy eight. You know, Superman the movie, um, directed by Richard Donner and. Just because I wanted to remind myself, you know, I knew we were going to talk about this today. So I wanted to remind myself of why that, you know, that tangibility of that world, why that was so important to me. You know, when Mm -hmm. I first I I, I believe, Arthur, that may have been one of the if not the first movie I saw in the theater. I was four or five years old. So I obviously I only have a vague memory of being with my father and my brother at that movie. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I have a vague memory of like holding my arms up, you know, how, you know, when you're little, you pretend you fly. And it's like, I kind of have that, that vague memory of that. But I think I saw this movie in theater and I just, you know, obviously as I got older and saw it again on, you know, on television and on VHS, you know, it meant a lot to me. Um, so mm-hmm. I just wanted to remind myself of why that was, but just let's, let's just kick this off then. I mean, why? That that idea that Richard Donner had, um, and w- a word that we'll say a lot in this episode, um, which he used a lot, was versimilitude. Um, mm. Which, if you're not familiar with the word, it just—I mean, because it's not—it's not a word that people just throw around in everyday conversation. Um, but it just means making the—it literally means making the unreal feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, hold on. I think I pulled up. I think I had the actual definition up. How somewhere. do you say that again? Verisimilitude. Um, yeah, I got to practice that. That's like right out of <laughs> Thor's all words are made up. Right, right. Philosophy. Right. He's like, you just made that word up. All words are made up. Uh, verisimilitude, the appearance of being true or real. That's that's mm-hmm. literally, it's not a, it sounds like mm-hmm. a complicated word. It's not. 
It's the appearance mm-hmm. of being true or real. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, and that was a, that was something that Donner believed in wholeheartedly. And it's something that he preached during the making of Superman, the movie, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, in 1978, this is a film that there wasn't a there wasn't a lot of superhero movies around at that time. Superheroes mm-hmm. existed in comic books. There was a couple of television series, cartoons, but superheroes weren't prevalent in the actual in the motion picture business. Right. So how do you make, you know, a guy who's flying? How do you make that feel real? How do you ground that in the real world? Mm-hmm. Um, and that he, he, he preached, you know, we're going to do it through verisimilitude. Um, so Arthur, what, you know, why is that important though? Why is it important to, um, to make the unreal feel real to, to moviegoers? Um, I think, I think it's because it, it makes it, it makes it that much more personable to us, the audience and if it if it's made to be more personal, then it feels more possible mm. that these things are actually possible, and the kinds of strange things that happen to us at various points of our individual lives, that possibility makes the connection much stronger. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, maybe it is possible to be able to you know lift up a car in the in the concept of Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, but even to go back a little earlier, you referenced The Omen, which, you know, on the face of it, I, I've always seen that film and I've seen it a few times. Um, and, you know, I fundamentally enjoy it, but it's nothing compared to the quality of, of The Exorcist, mm. which I think The Omen is somewhat of an also ran. Um, and um, if you can just spare me just a couple of minutes, allow me, you know, the, I, I think, I think his, his, his um, mark on that, you know, was the omen hmm. where these very strange, horrific events were happening in the view of many people, many people having the same experience and in the omen i'm particularly talking about damien's birthday party and the famous scene where the nanny kills herself you know mm-hmm. um, i do you know what i may have seen i you know i've never watched that movie in its entirety but i have vague i have a vague like when you just said that the birthday party i think i've seen that i, I may have seen that, that yeah that yeah. scene so go ahead i'm sorry you know and that that shocking event is is very public mm-hmm. whereas looking at, say, The Exorcist, or even further, maybe the foundation of, of this kind of horror-type genre, Rosemary's Baby from 1968, Polanski's Rosemary Baby, where all of these things were happening from the viewpoint of one woman. She's like, you know, n- but nobody else could share this with her mm-hmm. to say that, look at what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that audience expanded a little bit with The Exorcist, where now you had the father, you had the living assistant, you know, you had a few other people that were also experiencing this strangeness to so that the central character knew that okay i'm not crazy my daughter really is floating three feet off the bed mm-hmm. you know take it to the omen it's a birthday party there are children there there are people there there are guests there right and this thing happens mm-hmm. you know and then widen that some more how do you make a man fly and make it feel real now mm-hmm. it's a whole city it's a whole globe mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um but it all goes back down to that basic need for us to connect our personal realities to these grander scenarios. Mm-hmm. And I think that Donner did that very, very well. I, I, I agree with that. And I think that it goes, 
it, it, that connection, I think, is one of the reasons that, you know, we even if we look outside of um, Superman, the movie, and look at comic book storytelling in the 70s, the mm-hmm. 60s as well, but in the 70s, when you had Marvel in particular, um, were creating characters that had real world problems. You know, that was one yeah. of their things, you know, in the 60s with Spider-Man and Peter Parker having issues and problems that other kids mm-hmm. could relate to. Mm-hmm. To your point, that 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 deepens that connection. So when you in Superman, the movie, when you see him flying through Metropolis and they use New York as a stand in for Metropolis. Yeah. And you're seeing him amongst those buildings or standing on that street. There's a feeling of connection that I have to that that I don't necessarily have to say, you know, and this is not to talk negative about this film. Um, it's just a different different tone. Um, I don't have that same level of connection to say Tim Burton's Batman of 1989. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because that right. that's a world that is clearly um, fantastical and not based on a real city. Whereas go forward even further to 2005's Batman Begins mm-hmm. and that verisimilitude is returned, you know, because now mm-hmm. you're you're in Chicago, you're using Chicago as Gotham, you're filming here, you're giving me, you created this bat car, you know, this, this tumbler, um, but you've made, you made it very practical. You've explained step-by-step step why this car needs to be here. Um, Batman's cape has a reason, you know, you do all these things mm-hmm, to create mm-hmm. that verisimilitude and Nolan himself, you know, Christopher Nolan used 1978 Superman as a pitch, you know, when he pitched Batman begins to Warner brothers, mm-hmm. he included, mm-hmm. you know, that as a reference, 1978 Superman. So there's that connection there, but just to go back to Donner, I think what he did with Superman in 1978 was to take that wild, fantastical idea of a Kryptonian, you know, here on Earth and firmly plant him, you know, within our own um, experiences. And it's not, I agree with you 100%. It's definitely through the environment, but it's also through themes and through um, emotions, you know, because when I watched it last night, one thing that hit me, Arthur, is that you you and I saw the 2000 and whatever, the Henry Cavall, this, the Man of Steel. You and I saw that together, I remember. Yeah. And we both yeah. walked out of the theater. Remember, we were like, yo, that uh, Jarrell sequence at the beginning with uh, Russell Crowe was just yeah. like, that was the shit. That's it. You know, that yeah. was the shit. <laughs> so in a similar vein, Superman the movie, 1978, Superman the movie is great. You know, I love the entire film. Yeah. But what hit me last night, I didn't really think about this until you know i was thinking about us doing this show i hadn't looked at it from this standpoint but the jarell sequence in the beginning mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. both his parents mm-hmm. um the superman's parents kal-el's parents and the destruction of krypton um the trial of uh of um of, of, of uh, zod and, mm-hmm. and his hench his henchwoman and uh henchman there the trial then the you know the the beef that um jarell has with the other Kryptonians that leads to, you know, him promising not to leave Krypton, um, him and his wife won't leave Krypton. And then, you know, but they send their son, all of these things happening in the first 20 minutes of that movie, Arthur was so real, you know, it was just mm-hmm. so tangible that, mm-hmm. and it's taking place on this alien planet, you know, and mm-hmm. it was so the verisimilitude, it wasn't just in Metropolis. It wasn't just, it didn't wait until it got to that point. It started at the beginning of the movie and it started in a way, um, it started through emotion. It started through themes of, you know, mm-hmm. parenthood and fatherhood mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, 
determination and all these things and judgment, all these all these things that we are used to on a day to day basis by putting that them in that context of Jarrell and his struggle in the beginning of the film. It established that verisimilitude from the beginning. Um, and that, that was important, I think. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I would just add on to that the thematic and the uh, the emotional aspect of the storytelling that Donner presented. And it should be noted that um, Mario Puzo um, yes. of The Godfather uh, wrote the Godfather novel, um, uh, co-wrote Godfather 1 and Godfather 2 films with uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Um, one of the best storytellers of his time, just pure storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, his script was not used for Superman 1978, Mm-hmm. But his story was his script was basically like because they, you know, long story short, they were making Superman one and Superman two at the same time. Puzo wrote a script for both films and it was like 500 pages. So it was mm-hmm. way too long. It was, you know, mm-hmm. he was a novelist. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up not using the bulk of it, but they used, you know, he still gets a story credit and the mm-hmm. story of Superman, you know, the first film, especially um, the son, you know, the, the son and the father and the father, you know, sending the son off and, you know, to save another race, all these, you know, theological elements to it. Um, the, you know, the family structure to it, the, the lost child, the, you know, the, um, xenophobia, all, all these things that just took place, you know, within this, 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 um, comic book construct, I think really added to that verisimilitude. And mm-hmm. I think Mario Puzo deserves some some credit for that as well. But Richard Donner, I think, definitely um, uh, established that with this and carried it into the other movies. You know, um, of course, I agree. You know, agree with all that. And I I haven't seen uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman in, gosh, I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. Um, you should you should watch it, man. But it I was a good. Remember Gene Hackman as Lex. Luthor. Oh yes, yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Another level of verisimilitude. In other words, he didn't play that character like he camped it up. You know, it was campy. You know, mm-hmm. it was hella funny. Um, yeah. but it wasn't in the same way that we've seen Luthor plays since. By whether you're talking about Kevin Spacey or um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, I think is, is was the actor that played him yes, in the last. Yes, that's right. One. That's right. You know, there is a even in his campiness, there was a genuineness that really, again, added to the um, to the layer of reality in this film, the way that Hackman portrayed him. Yeah, he did megalomaniac very well. <laughs> he very announced well. he announced that he was he, there was no obfuscation. He, he basically said it from get. I am, you know, the greatest criminal mind of this. Right. That's me. Yeah. And now this great challenge yeah. has presented itself. This alien then landed here. He's causing all that. I'm going after this guy. You know, yeah. it was, it was, he didn't wait for Superman to find him. He sought out Superman um, because he wanted that challenge. Um, but yeah, I mean, the model work um, in that, in that movie, the cinematography, um, the fact that, you know, I think it was Tom Mankiewicz, Mankiewicz who was the writer who came on board, I think towards the end to really get the script in order. He famously, um, he's, he's a, he did a lot of bond movies. Um, he's the one I believe that came up with the idea of Jarrell having the S on his chest to represent his mm. house that represents mm-hmm. the L house and Krypton, which explains mm-hmm. why Superman had an S on his chest, you know? So mm-hmm. it, all these type of things just, you know, added to that level of realness that I think was, is important. And for me to answer the question, to answer my own question, why is it important for, you know, the unreal to become real? Again, I agree with everything you said. And I, I think it also, um, it helps us, it helps these stories carry on, 
you know, it helps these stories continue. Why are we interested in more and more and more and more of these stories? Um, if they were all kind of like these esoteric can't connect to type of unrelatability type level of storytelling, we may be satisfied with getting one or two of them and kind of going on our way. But the more connected you feel to something, the more you want to know more about that thing. Um, because I think the, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. But, but I also think the more influential that it becomes Mm -hmm. and, uh, Donner made to me just a series of great, great, you know, popcorn films. You know, you go there, you go there to enjoy a show, but then he added a layer of realness to it, like what you're talking about, mm-hmm. that made the stories that much more tangible and that you're more connectable in that mm-hmm. way. Um, my favorite Downer film, Far and Away, is The Goonies from 1985. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, the, the popularity of popularity of the Stranger Things series, mm-hmm. you know, is Goonies DNA through right. and through and for um those you know those who are unfamiliar you know the goonies are just a collection of you know child you know misfits in a way some are more popular than the others some are related some are you know mm-hmm. some one falls in love with the other you know and and the, you know there are all these things that happen within this community of of children who have this club called the goonies that and they discover this you know this treasure map you know under their under their subdivision you know and then they go on this adventure you know and and it's you know and it's taking place you know right in you know the middle of suburbia that Mm -hmm. this that this that this fantastical reality is in fact happening and um you see that later in stranger things where Mm -hmm. the group of misfits you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) find this fantastical adventure right in front of their eyes and even uh, Sean Astin, who played a part, in, I believe, in the second season of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. a love interest of of uh, Winona Ryder's character, he mm-hmm. was the leader of the Goonies in 1985 as a boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Josh Brolin, the young Josh Brolin, was his older brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and the charismatic, you know, older brother. Wasn't Robert to it. wasn't Robert Davi in that in that film as well? He was a bad guy in that movie. Um, uh, Sanchez from uh, License to Kill. Uh, yeah, he was, I he was, think he was. Yeah, Robert Davi was in it, and mm-hmm. also uh, Joe Pen- um, Penatolano was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman was in it. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, I think that a story like The Goonies mm-hmm. um, really resonated with younger audiences myself included because there were parts of our childhood and adolescence and even early teenage years that were we felt were quirky or we felt that either needed to be um suppressed in order to be a part of you know the 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 more popular peer group to be Mm -hmm. accepted Mm -hmm. You know, I I think to add on to that, I think going back to that time period, um, excuse me, in my life when I was that that age, I remember watching I watched, you know, the Goonies was on. I think it was on HBO at the time or it was in its its early HBO's earliest inceptions. And it was like I watched it all the time. Like it was all the time. time. Um, But that time at that and I was I think I was around the same age or maybe a little younger as the kids in the film. But at that time. You know, and I was deep into comic books as well. And it was mm-hmm. the the realness of the unreal was important to me because 
in my head, it was all real. You know, mm, to this day, mm. when we talk about Star Wars, you know, just take just take Star Wars for an example. Like we're talking about the Bad Batch right now in several episodes, and you know what's happening with these characters and what we're for you know what we're forecasting is going to happen for the characters. We know it's not real, but it is real. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm mm-hmm. saying we we the passion that we have for it is like this matters. You know, mm-hmm. this scene matters because it's going to have this impact on this character, and that character matters to us. You know, and at that point in my life, when I was reading comics and I, especially in the early eighties, when I discovered X-Men um, or probably the mid eighties, I think I discovered the X-Men and went back and started, you know, look, look back at the, um, the early eighties comics. The X-Men was one of the X-Men was probably my first like um, major comic book obsession. You know, I collected mm, comics okay. before then I was collecting, I was reading comics. But when I discovered the X-Men and went back and was reading, you know, the Jean Grey saga, the Phoenix, Dark Phoenix and all that stuff mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and got caught up and then carried that on throughout the end of the 80s into the early 90s. Um, these characters were real to me, you know, in my head. You know, they existed somewhere, you know, even though if you would walk up to me and said, are these characters real or fake? I was like, I don't know, they're fake, but they're real. You know, they exist somewhere in my mind. And so that that, you know, when you watch a film and they can do that film can do that for you. You know, take Batman Begins, for example, and just take something that's completely unreal, but mm-hmm. make it feel real to you. There's something really special about that. You know, it's basically yeah. taking a part of your mind and putting it on the screen, you know, yeah, whereas, yeah. again, not to talk, talk negative about it, but when I see Batman 89 or some of the other more fantastical things or, or things that don't feel as grounded, it's still very interesting to me. But that mm-hmm. connectivity is lost. You know. And there was some of that in the um, in the um, in the Spider-Man film series, um, not the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, the Raimi, the, you talking about the Raimi films? Yeah, the Sam yeah, Raimi the early thousands. Yeah, particularly yeah, yeah. the first two. I mean, yeah, and I think that's part of the reason I think Spider-Man Two, Sam Raimi Spider-Man Two, is still I think the best the best Spider-Man film made. You know, and that's part of the reason is that verisimilitude. Um, but to that, and you know, I'm glad you brought that up though, because even Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, um, the animated film, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's in this this wild, you know, trip trippy, you know, multi. I mean, just that's one of the trippiest movies you'll ever see, in terms of just you know visually, um, and it's animated. That film has a high level of verisimilitude for me because of the themes. You know, because of the dynamic, you know, I've talked about it before, the scene with him, with Miles and his father, you know, when his father's at the door, that's one of the, that's an incredible scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the, in the, the yearnings and the, the fish out of water aspect for Miles, when he goes to the, to the private school, all these things give a level of realness to that film that I think helped it connect to audiences. Um, So there's a level of verisimilitude, even within, you know, an animated film that has, you know, some of the most bizarre visuals you'll ever see um especially towards the end of the movie um so it, I, you know just to bring all this full circle i think going back to you know we use richard donner um because of course he passed away recently but we're using him as the the, the impetus for this conversation because for me and i think for a lot of people that superman 1978 film was like the first time where you saw something so real you know on the big mm-hmm. screen Mm-hmm. Um, that just felt like, wow, no. this could really happen. To, to really quickly though, to just to give it some love, Incredible Hulk, um, the David Banner, the the television series, the Bill amazing Bixby. Bill Bixby, um, the Spider Man series that was on at the same around the same time, 
Um, those also yeah. kind of had a a Wonder level of Woman, tangibility Linda Carter as well. Yeah, those those also, and, and probably because of the budgets were so low, they couldn't they weren't they couldn't do all that fantastical stuff. So when you saw him climbing up the side of a building, it was an actual building, you know, and it was some ropes and some you know uh, pulleys yeah. that they were using to do that. So go ahead, though. I'm sorry. I think I think Steven Spielberg is is in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, The Goonies was uh, a Steven Spielberg uh, production. He was a producer, but he had definitely made the attempt to do what we're talking about in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. And it was an adult story, but dealt directly with the plausibility of spaceships and aliens mm-hmm. and contact. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason I even bring up Close Encounters is because, you know, now that adult men and women who, you know, do shows like this and work on these kinds of films, mm-hmm. you know, still come from that same generation, that same Generation X mm-hmm. that zeroed in on this kind of storytelling mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we knew, while we knew it wasn't real, a lot of these stories were plausible. They were made plausible. Right. So let me ask you this before we wrap up. Let me ask you this. Do you think that this type of storytelling, this type of verisimilitude within the unreal genre or genres, is it at its peak now? Is it waning? Is it on its I, way? Where, where is it at right now? I, I, I actually think it, I actually think it's waning. Mm-hmm. Um, the last the last clear example that I can think of uh, is the film Logan. And, Mm. you know, I actually think that Marvel needs to do more of this kind of storytelling. I think they're trying to do that at the Disney Plus series Mm. level. Um, I do think that DC is wanting to do this um, definitely with what they've done with the Joker, the success that they've had with the Joaquin Phoenix Joker film. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's interesting. Man. I think we talk about a lot about Bond on this this uh, this uh, show is obviously, but if I look at 2012's Skyfall, and mm-hmm. then the following, I think it was 2015 Spectre. 2012 Skyfall had a level of verisimilitude that Spectre kind of lost. Spectre kind of went was almost a throwback to a time period where you could just have a guy show up, you know, at a big table. Um, he's in the mm-hmm. shadows and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it felt very retro in that that respect. Mm-hmm. Whereas 2012 Skyfall, um, I'm not commentating. I'm not comment- commenting on which film was better. This is just for, you know, um, in light of this conversation only. But 2012 Skyfall had a villain who was, you know, had a personal vendetta, um, stayed in the shadows, the literal shadows, you know, stayed mm-hmm. in the shadows mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. well, the metaphorical shadows um, and, you know, attacked via computer. You know, that was his method of that was his that was his main method of assault. So and there was, the you know, Skyfall Spectre just feel have a have a difference in tone in that regard in terms of just the pure context of verisimilitude. And I think Logan came out and I don't know what year Logan came out, but I think it was between that time or maybe it was right after Spectre. Um, maybe it was around 2017, 2018. But yeah, it seems it that we, we are it was 2017. Yeah, because we saw it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. I'm pretty so, sure it was 17. So it was shortly after Spectre. So I feel like 
just using Bond as a, cause you know, the Bond films have always kind of reflected their era, you know, their mm-hmm. time period. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we are waning because I feel like we're going more in that direction of fantastical because even with um, the film that we just talked about um, on the other episode, uh, we talked about Black Widow. It, there's this, you know, I look at Black Widow and you compare that to Winter Soldier. You know, Winter Soldier is another, you know, Captain America Winter Soldier is another, mm-hmm. you know, thriller type, espionage type, you know, spy action flick. And both of these are, you know, Marvel films. So they exist in that, in a fantasy world, but there's a much higher degree of, you know, that, that verisimilitude that's kind of hinted at within Black Widow, they carry it a, li- a little further in Winter Soldier. You know, it gets, mm-hmm. it's, it's more tangible Winter Soldier. And I think that, you know, there's a scene in like, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, there's a scene in um, Black Widow where, you know, the car, the car they're in gets hit and it's flipped over like 30 times and it literally gives, go, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Black Widow. I mean, this isn't really a spoiler, but whatever it literally gets hit and then it ends up in a subway, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's like, yes. Yes. it's like nobody's surviving that obviously, you know what I'm right. saying? In real life, everybody's dead and including multiple people within the subway, but you know, you suspend your disbelief, you know, for a while because you're like, this is a film, mm-hmm. but they're pushing that belief. They're, they're, they're pushing that suspension further and further and further now to where we're getting away from, you know, that peak of verisimilitude with, you know, Wolverine with Skyfall with going all the way back to 2000 with the first X-Men film, 2001, I think Mm, it was uh the first X-Men film with Blade going all the way back even further to what was that? 99 or 98, you know, Wesley, uh, Wesley Snipes Blade movie, the first one about a vampire, which was highly grounded in the real world. You know, that, that movie was full. This, it was a movie about a vampire, a day Walker, Mm -hmm. but it was full of verisimilitude, you know, um, so I think that was kind of the zenith or the kind of the jump off point for that level of storytelling blade to, you know, Batman begins to dark Knight, uh, you know, uh, and, and throw, you know, like I said, throw X-Men in there. Then you go to, um, Skyfall, but ever since I think, you know, 2015, 2016, I think, I, I think like, I think you're right. I think Wolverine or Logan was like kind of the, the swan song for that. And now we're kind of heading back towards this more fantastical world to the point where I, it wouldn't surprise me if we're going to get, you know, five years from now, we'll get a, you know, another, you know, 1989 Batman type film. Um, but speaking of Batman, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. We'll see what that looks like when it comes out next year. You know, what right. is that? It's how the trailer so far looks like they're going to go to some, to some extent to, to establish that verisimilitude, but how far are they going to go? Um, so that'll be, I think that'll be a good gauge as to where we're at right now in unreal storytelling. Yeah. Uh, special shout out to, uh, Star Wars Rogue One from 2016. Mm. They somehow made that world grounded in the same kind of way that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Great point. Excellent point. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that was Tony Gilroy, you know, um, his, his, his storytelling as far as, as someone who, um, I think, his involvement with the Bourne films, yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, helped to help establish mm-hmm. some of that, that grounded aesthetic within Rogue One. So excellent point. Excellent point. All right. Uh, we want to hear from you, our listeners, hashtag mad unreal on Twitter. And let us know your thoughts uh, about the legacy of Richard Donner. Go uh, watch Superman 1978, the movie. I'm sure it's streaming and available probably all over every place. So go watch that film. Great, great movie. 
Mad Unreal episode 41 is a wrap. This is Arthur. That is Isaac. And we will see you next episode. Oh, subscribe. Subscribe to the show. (laughs) That's important as well. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can follow the show uh, and find us anywhere and everywhere. Find RSS feeds are consumed. See you next show. Peace. Keep it unreal. (laughs) 